Yeah, it, it it's all about that choice, and it's all about understanding that. I mean, Victor Frankl talks talks about it between you know stimuli and response. There is this 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 opportunity for us, and that's the way I look at adversity. Where if you choose to frame it as something that's going to be hard, it will be hard, irrespective of how easy it is, and vice versa. What I found is so many people get bogged down in adversity. And I understand that we all go through things, whether it be a death in the family, a divorce, a loss of our jobs, whatever it is. But what I'm trying to show is that adversity is opportunity. You start using adversity as your compass. You start doing these micro adversities of not eating, maybe push your lunch back a half hour, maybe reduce your, your caloric intake half of that for that day. Maybe walk a little bit further to work. Maybe not wear a jacket when it's not completely freezing outside. Maybe it's holding a door open for somebody or listening to somebody whose ideas and leanings are different than yours. These are all opportunities if we so choose. That's Marcus Aurelius Anderson. And I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers, welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. Another incredible guest coming your way, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. He's unreal. He's going to share with you this idea that he talks about, which is the gift of adversity. He talked about it in a TED Talk. When you hear his story, well, I, I could say you'd understand where it comes from, but it's not until hearing how he responds to his story, how it all plays out, how he grew as a result of his story, and how he now looks at what is his story to see the gift part of it, because it doesn't have to be that way. This is a guy who, uh, when you look at him, you'll be like, well, you know, he's he's fit, he's successful, he's got all these things, he's this speaker, this mindset coach, he's done a TED Talk, he's an author, he was in the army, uh, he's just got it all, right? He's got it really easy. No, he's a guy who has struggled, of course, right? He wouldn't be on the show if he didn't. He was completely paralyzed from the neck down. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Right now you're starting to see, well, wait a second, I wouldn't have thought that. He looks really fit. Uh, yeah, he went through a really long battle to get back to even just being able to walk and had everything that he was working towards taken away from him. But he learned from that, and he grew from that, and he learned how to look at that as a way to make things better. That's the gift of adversity. He's going to share all that with us today. Marcus today is a speaker, mindset coach, and author, as I mentioned. He helps people think about the situations they're in differently and use a more powerful, thankful mindset to become more productive, to realize your potential, to grab your purpose. It's really beautiful. And for such a powerful person, you'll hear him when he speaks. He's calm, he's clear, he's peaceful. There's a gratitude in his voice. There's an evenness and a sensibility to the whole thing. It's really cool. I find when I talk to him or when I listen to him, you know, in interviews or, or do his TED talk or something else, um, I find myself much more at peace. He just has this effect. So I'm going to stop there 
so we can get into this episode with Marcus. Interestingly, so I'm not, I guess I'm not actually going to stop there. Interestingly, um, this is the first time I've ever done this. We just started talking and I have the recorder going and I realized several minutes in, I was like, um, I don't really want to stop and then artificially start the conversation. Let's just go with it. So you are going to come into the middle of a conversation talking about his name, Marcus Aurelius, not the Anderson part, but the first part, famous Roman king. Uh, it's quite a name to live up to. So you you come in at this kind of weird spot, but it was good. So we just went with it. Uh, so with that, I'm going to jump into the episode with the Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Yeah, it's my grandfather gave it to me. So it, uh, even at a young age, it's like you, I don't, I didn't understand what it was. They were just like, well, he was a king is what it, it equated to. But even yeah. then I was like, well, I'm not a king. And like, well, it's to help you, you know, aspire to be worthy of the endeavor. So that's really, really well put. That's pretty cool. It, yeah. Try. Um, so I've watched a bunch of your stuff. I listened to you on a bunch of different shows. Um, I think it's really cool stuff. You know, it, it's really inspiring. Um, so. No surprise, I'm sure. But I always like when I hear that. So hopefully it still resonates with you. I don't think you ever get jaded by knowing that you're having impact, right? No, it's, and like you say, I mean, hopefully the the story is what brings people in. Yeah. But But hopefully they see that I'm multifaceted and I'm trying to, it's not just like, oh, look at this guy who did this thing. Because if people put you to a place where they can't achieve it, yeah. then no matter what I say, it doesn't help them. But yeah. if I can say, no, I've, I've been through stuff and it's not like you get enlightened. It's not like, okay, now I've reached this level of whatever it is. And now I no longer have adversity. It's like, no, we, I had it on the way to, to my office today, but yet here we are and we get stronger from it. So I, that's a really crucial point. So I think there's a few things that because people can look at your story and be like, well, that's too, like, I'll, I've never gone through that. I'll never go through that. I don't understand. Yeah. So that it doesn't resonate. Well, I think in some of the more extreme stories of people I've had on, they're almost uh, more powerful proof of that ability to choose. Yeah. You know, like it's one thing like you get cut off in traffic, you can choose not to be pissed off. It might be hard to you, but like you could see that on a scale of like, this guy had on Josh Perry, BMX rider with a pro BMX rider. It was like his dream career. He's got brain tumors that took him out from that. And he mm -hmm. still has three of them today. So he can't compete. And yeah. you ask him, he's like, I wouldn't give him up for the world. You're like, yeah, what? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty powerful choice. I don't know how he does in traffic, but like, that just proves it, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. it it's all about that choice. And it's all about understanding that I mean, Victor Frankl talks about it between, you know, stimuli and response. There is this, this, this opportunity for us. And that's the way I look at adversity, where if you choose to frame it as something that's going to be hard, it will be hard, irrespective of how easy it is and vice versa. So, so many people get caught up in the semantics of it and uh, it should just be about the overarching truth of the, of the matter in my mind. I'm going to do something I've never done. I usually would cut the conversation and then do the intro. Mm -hmm. And I can, I'm like, there's a few things you said. I'm like, that'd be a good intro clip. But actually, I don't know if you ever listen to the Rich Roll podcast. He does this where you're clearly coming in in the middle of a conversation. But it's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So I'm just going to awkwardly like say your name now and, and bring the whole thing back. But I'm yeah, using we'll this flow. whole thing the way it is. Just go with it. Beautiful. So Marcus Aurelius Anderson. 
joining me on the Do A Day podcast today. Thank you for for making that time. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm honored by the opportunity. And we have to give credit to Brent Teary for making the connection as well. Oh yeah, he's incredible. Great that guy. was fantastic. Yeah, really awesome. Um, awesome individual. A lot of people are like, oh, I should connect you with some people I know, and and like within an hour, there's like eight eight new connections. He just uh, got, the guy delivered and. You yeah. guys are, everyone's been pretty amazing. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, well, we were just talking about adversity and struggle and, uh, I, I want to get into your story and what you talk about today as a result of what you lived through. Um, there's lots of people with lots of great lessons. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. come from something. And right. what we we're just talking about, sometimes the something you come from is almost too much for people to resonate with. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's what I got out of, you know, watching your, your Ted talk and, uh, hearing a bunch of interviews you've done that it's this really great balance between the two of not being like, I went through this incredible thing. So I just want you wowed. And then, you know, then take my lessons in. there's a humility to the whole thing that I think, even though your story is it's, it's profound. Um, it's more than most people will face. The thing I keep saying is it's not a challenge or a competition. Um, but it also means even the great challenges can still resonate if you don't necessarily connect with the story directly. Cause we all go through, like you said, it's not like you went through a challenge and now you're done and it's all just easy from here. You still, there's always things we face. It's always choices. It always is. And if you don't, we, we have to understand that adversity is an inevitability for all of us. Um, and then a lot of times it's very easy for us to make a mountain out of a molehill, as they would say in the Midwest, where, you know, we were talking about getting cut off in traffic or the person who looks at you sideways in in the store or whatever. Um, th- that's not really what it's, it's about. It's about understanding that there will always be some form of hardship and you have to decide what you want to do. We were talking about, uh, you know, I love Victor Frankl. He's way above his his time when he was talking about that because he was in such an extreme condition. So for all of us, we face an event, whether it be adversity or whatever it is, we decide what that means to us. Mm -hmm. And after that decision, now we attach emotion that is evoked from that. And that's the simple, simple way to look at it. One, two, three. So as Frankel says, between stimulus and response is my ability to decide. So we look at that hardship. So is the hardship of the person cutting you off in traffic? Is that your opportunity to get pissed off? It can be if you so choose. And yeah. now that continues the rest of the cycle. Or is this an opportunity for you to be empathetic? Yeah. Is this an opportunity for you to to be human and wonder what else is going on? Is this person just a horrible person? Maybe. But maybe this person is going through something. Yeah. And ir- irrespective of that, that is your choice, how you decide to frame that. Yeah. And so, and it's easy to say it when we're not in the heat of adversity. For sure. But it's important to have that mentality of fix now. So that when we do get into the fray, when we are in the heat of battle, we can be reminded of it because if we wait until afterwards, it's too late. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, if you can't get yourself to a place of humility and uh, or compassion for them, recognizing that getting angry is not getting you uncut off or unwronged in whatever way you've, you know, if right. you feel wronged, it's just kind of ruining your day. Uh, and having other impacts. So even if you want to, you know, be selfish, if you want to call it that, how about like self-caring or self-respecting? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that to yourself? Like if you've been wronged, now you're just wronging yourself further. 
by letting that wrong expand out into more of your getting you heated, getting you worked up, you know, maybe causing other problems because you start arguing with people because you're angry. That's it. Yeah. I mean, even just serve yourself. Yeah. And it creates that cascade. I mean, if, if we just said like those three steps, you know, event and then emotion evoked from that, every time I think about that thing until I choose to reframe it, I'm always going to be, like you said, I'm self-harming myself every single time. I'm disempowering myself. The adversity perception cycle, that's exactly what it is. If I see it as hardship, it will be hardship. It disempowers me. It makes me afraid. It makes me hesitate. And then the adversity is introduced again, and I continue the cycle. But if I can step outside of it and say, you know what? I see this adversity as opportunity. What am I learning? What is the weakness in my armor? Where am I? Where is this blind spot? Why am I getting hit by this? If we can do that, now we can find, oh, so the next time adversity is introduced, whatever it is, now we can say, this is my opportunity. So you either strengthen yourself or you self-choose to be mm. a victim. And that victim mindset is a very self-perpetuating cycle, unfortunately. And it's very easy to get in it because it's comfortable. And so many people mistake comfort with familiarity, and that's not the truth. Yeah. Familiarity can be very can. uncomfortable. We just choose yeah. to keep going back to it. That's exactly it. And so... Um, I don't know. I see, I see it in a lot of different ways and I see it in myself too. So again, I'm not above it. I'm not enlightened. Um, I just had a moment where I was able to see how it was a universal truth that can be replied to, uh, applied to anything if we so choose. Yeah. But again, sometimes the application can be difficult. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to get into the how behind the things we're talking about because all of it's easier said than done, but that doesn't mean it can't be done, but we got to get into your story so that you know, bring us to that point. You were what, 38 years old when you, when 38, you got into the military? 38 when I joined, yeah. All right. What was yeah. going on in your life before that? Because that's not, to me, that's not where your story really started, but that was just right. a key pivot in it or point in it. Yeah, it was. I, you know, I joined the military at 38, which is very, very old for military standards. Uh, they had to sign a waiver to get me in. For me, what had happened is I had done what everybody else had done in high school. I had gotten out. Everybody's like, go to college. I go to college. I wasn't really happy or excited about what I was taking, but everybody's like, we'll do that and then get a job, then get married, blah, 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 blah. And this is, you know, I'm 47 now. This is before the internet. So the only thing I could do, I was born in the Midwest, born and raised there. So you could either, you know, do what a lot of adolescents were doing, which is going out, getting in trouble or trying to do something to to add to my own edification. Mm. So for me, I chose martial arts, I chose reading, and I I chose learning the guitar to try to keep me consistently, you know, adding and pouring into myself as opposed to being distracted. Now, of course, I was, you know, a kid as well. So there were probably times I wasn't, you know, I wasn't breaking into schools or anything silly like that. But I was still not taking all the opportunity that I could because I wanted to give myself the chance to live a little bit. Mm. But I eventually, from martial arts, I had an injury in my shoulder, met a chiropractor, and he saw that I was injured, and he says, uh, how long has your shoulder been hurting? I said, I don't know, for quite a while. He gave me his card. He's like, well, come and see me Monday. And I was like, oh, uh, a chiropractor. It's a bunch of, you know, yeah, yeah. S- smoke and mirrors. And he says, if I don't fix you, you don't have to pay me. Okay. I was like, okay, I'll yeah, see you yeah. Monday, doc. Come in. He takes x-rays, does a full exam, examines my spine adjust me. And then 
my shoulder, my humerus was inferior and anterior. It was an AI shoulder. It was subluxated. It was less than completely dislocated from throwing just thousands and thousands of punches. Yeah. And he adjusted. And it sounds like a shotgun going off. Yeah. And almost immediately, I have probably 75% of my range of motion back. And the pain is pretty, pretty minimal. Yeah. I'm like, okay, how did you know how to do that? And how did you figure out what it was? He's kind of chuckled. He's like, let's go to lunch. We go to lunch, we talk, and uh, everything he's talking about, about the body being able to heal itself and the power that makes the body heals the body. And if there's no impingement, the body can do whatever it needs to. And it all resonated with me with that martial art philosophy I'd grown up with. And I was like, wow, that's pretty neat. And he says, you know, you should be a chiropractor. He says, I know that you're in school for these other things, but you should be a chiropractor. I'm like, sweet. So this is just like a weekend course. What does it take? Yeah. And he, he's like, no. It's, you can learn smoke and mirrors pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not too hard, right? I mean, look at yeah. modern entrepreneurship and on social media now, it's yeah. everywhere. But he was he was like, well, you're going to have to get a doctor. It's going to be a six to eight year path. And I had to go completely 180 what I was learning. But in my mind, it was worth it. So yeah. I go to chiropractic school in Kansas City, um, eventually transferred to the school in, at Life University in Atlanta because it's, Yeah, that's a really well-known school. Yeah, it's at, at that time, For it was Cairo, the best yeah. in the world. Yeah, philosophically, you know, from the practice of it the best adjusters in the world came from that school. So I was like, this is where I need to go. I lost a lot of my credits doing that, but in my mind, it's an investment. I'll take yeah. two steps back. If I can take a hundred steps forward, I'm not afraid to do the work. Um, in the process of doing that, I was, I got married and I'm about a year and a half away to, from finishing my doctorate and I'm working so hard. I'm a bartender, you know, I'm married and I'm not getting a lot of sleep. I'm yeah. just trying to grind through as people would say, but I, this is a cautionary tale for people because People said that they have priorities, but a lot of the things that they have on their little list is not a priority. And a lot of the things that they don't realize are priorities. A priority is what you continually pour your time and, and energy into. Mm. So if you're a drug addict, even if you may say you're trying to save the world, your priority is getting that next hit. Yeah. So for me, I, I said that my marriage was a priority, but it was not. My priority was getting through school, staying out of debt, and trying to do whatever I could, thinking that the next step would make me happy. The next yeah. step would make me go. If right? I can just familiar. get to. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what it was. that's how life works. You just get to that one next step and then it's good. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. So and it's not how it works. No, yeah. it's uh. and for me, what happened was because I didn't prioritize the wrong, the right thing, I inadvertently prioritized the wrong thing and my marriage fell apart. Yeah. So that happened. And then right after that, my great uncle passed away who was outside of my father the biggest male role model that I ever had. Mm. So he was in special forces. He was in Vietnam. I go on the pallbearer and one of the pallbearers. And as we go to his funeral, they have all the regalia. He was in like all these special ops. So they have a full bird colonel that actually goes through and eulogizes him. And then people coming up person after person talking about his valor, 21 gun salute, all this incredible stuff. And, uh, I'm pretty strong through most of it until they start playing taps and until mm -hmm. they start folding up the flag and they give it to my great aunt and they just say, thank you for your sacrifice. We're sorry for your loss. And then I just lose it. I'm a blubbering mess. Uh, the next week I go in and I'm like, you know what? I've always wanted to join the military. I've always had an excuse not to. I'm, have, I'm not married. I have no kids. I know school will be put on pause. I'm going to go see what I can do. I'll march down there, talk to the recruiter. Um, 
finds out how old I am, does some tests, finds out that I'm smart, that I'm in good shape. And uh, we go back and forth and he's like, what do you want to do? And I said, infantry, because that way I knew that I could at least try to follow in the footsteps of my mm-hmm. great uncle. And he says, you don't understand, you can do whatever you want because of your test scores. And I tell him emphatically, well, you don't understand. If I can't do this, then I'm just going to walk out the door and take another path. Mm. So after about half an hour of discussion, he finally just signs a release and slides it over. And he's like, it's your life, man. So six months later, I'm getting off the bus at Fort Benning, getting yelled at, living the dream. Was it, I got one question about the marriage. But I got a question about this, and I should ask: Is the marriage off limits for me to ask about? No, no, it's all, all right. there. So, what what was interesting to me is you actually, I don't know the details, so maybe maybe it's not the way I'm perceiving it. But you seem to be taking a lot of responsibility, which is not how most people end up talking about failed marriages. It's all you know, they this, they that, or we were wrong for each other. Or, but it's never like listen, I, I messed up or I wasn't prioritizing it. Is that how you felt at the time? Or is that through everything you've been through and looking back and reflecting, were you aware at the time that like, I'm not putting the time and energy into this that I should have if I truly mean what I say about it being my priority? That's what it was. If And, and also it's about communication. Also it's about actually listening, actually being present yeah. and understanding that you can't just put these other things off hoping that something else will wait. And that that's what I did. And I, I understood it at the time, but I didn't understand the gravity of it until, okay. until after the hardship. Yeah. Because uh, again, it would be easy to say, well, you know, we, we grew apart, but why did we grow apart? Yeah. Yeah. Right. If I had made that the priority, maybe we wouldn't have. And yeah. you're married. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you understand as well as I do, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a relationship and a job, um, something very small will fester. Yeah. So even if it's, you know, a little bitty thing, why not pull out the thorn now and figure out what it is? Why not have a clean slate? Yeah. Why not talk to that person on Monday? They upset you on Monday and say, listen, I feel like this is what you said. And I feel like you're not respecting what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. And if you can do that now, so all the the relationships that I have now, that's what I do. I'm just very straightforward, very transparent and just say, listen, I would rather have three minutes of an uncomfortable conversation now yeah. Then three months or three years of something that will fester. And guess what? We will inevitably have to open this wound and get to this point that we are at right now. Right. So for so many of us, um, even for me, like with adversity, the tendency as a human being is to put as much distance between us and the hardship as possible. Yeah. Because it's easier and we want to get away from it. And that's what a, a relationship is. It's the same way. Yeah. But if the wound is open and it's fresh, why not examine it? Why not figure out what the causation is? Why not stop this from happening again? And that's the way I try to look at it. Yeah. No, I'm very much the same way. And what I've realized is not everybody is. No. And so ultimately, it's going to take two to tango. But I find that your approach to that, that's the differentiator where you may get someone to be willing to do that if they wouldn't normally, or at least uh, you open the door. Maybe they need a little bit of time. But the door's now open versus, yeah, years down the road, you, it's, you know, that not emptying the dishwasher last night is not a reason to split up. But yeah. if it starts a chain reaction, that could be, uh, you know, patient zero, so to speak. No, absolutely. Um, all right. That was one thing I wanted to go back to. The other was when you're talking about following in your great uncle's footsteps, 
there's a lot of honor, there's a lot of respect, there's a lot of maybe seeing this total life of achievement, uh, again, honor and, and, uh, dedication. And there's a lot of really positive, respectful kind of values level things that go with that. Was there any of you that was also about the beating you up the, you know, like I got to tough this out, I got to move towards the pain or I need to escape the situation. Like how much of it was actually about what was going on in your life versus what you were going to from a, an ideal standpoint? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's, that's where it was because I could see that like my why for school was my marriage and to create a family. And I I was still going to serve my community and, and create my own practice, obviously, but the, the drive, the immediate driver right then was gone. Mm. And I also knew that my opportunity to get in the military, if I was allowed to, would be a very short window. Yeah. So I knew that I had to act. Plus for me, I needed something. I needed a, a challenge. I needed some sort of adversity to, to make me better. And school, again, that, that there wasn't a whole lot of physicality to that. Yeah. Um, intellectually I was being, you know, crushed, but from a physical standpoint, I wasn't. And this was a great adventure. This was an opportunity for me to kind of reinvent myself and, and again, clean the slate as it were. But of course I had no idea where that would lead to or what it would mean, but that's what our journey is. That's what our life is. Um, we can't just go out there hoping that every single step of the way is going to be planted out. And frankly, if you're listening to us, if it were, you wouldn't respect it. It wouldn't be fun. There wouldn't be any excitement. You'd be bored. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. Um, it did strike me when you talked about it, you know, I, I've heard you talk about this a few times I'm hitting on, uh, your motivation was gone, you know, it was tied to the the marriage before. And, and that is a really common theme that we, we yep. place our motivation, I call it a motivating factor versus our motivation mm-hmm. itself in something right. that is external is temporal, you know, mm-hmm. it can come and go no matter what it is, no matter how deep the connection may be. Yeah. If it's not in you, ultimately it can leave. And when you talk about those things around your great uncle and that, that sort of values driven thing that is getting mm-hmm. more down into the core. Yes, absolutely. So it's interesting. Yeah. You start that journey through, well, I'll let you continue the story. Cause it, it, it's, yeah, it, it's an amazing one. So keep, keep going. Yeah. So, um, and even like with the martial arts, I mean, self-control, perseverance, humility, indomitable spirit, loyalty, conviction of ultimate victory, those things were bred with bred into me from a very young age. Yeah. But again, you don't know how significant that is until you're actually in the the fray. So, yeah. um, go to infantry school, get yelled at. I'm the oldest guy there by far. I'm older than my drill sergeants, many sure. of them. But uh, I go in understanding that this is just a mental game. Yeah. And that, and I trained really hard. I was in good shape anyway, but I trained really hard leading up to that physically because. Being in great shape as a civilian is one thing, but being in great shape as a person who's getting ready to go to war, is, it's a whole other level. Yeah. And again, we talked about motivation. You may not be motivated to go to the gym on Monday morning when it's raining outside, but if you know that five other people's lives are in your hands and it could literally dictate whether they live or die if you're in shape yeah. or if you're hydrated or if you're squared away or if you brought the right piece of equipment or if your battle drills appropriate or if you squeeze the trigger when you're supposed to or if you're situationally aware – it changes it. So okay. again, that's, that is a big motivating factor for sure. Yeah, it's literally life or death for you and for others. It truly is. And, yeah. and it, and it creates reciprocity within your team. So now if they see that I'm willing to do that for them, they will do it for me and vice versa. And now that builds into your squad, builds into everybody that you're around. 
And in the combat arms, that's a very, that's a common thing that we find. Mm -hmm. But again, there, there are a lot of things that had to be put in place for that to happen. And there are a lot of repercussions from that as well. So it's, it's a very slippery slope in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, got through infantry school, got to my unit. I was in upstate New York at 10th mountain. Uh, it was one of the most deployed units in the history of the military. And I'm there before it starts getting really cold. So that's 30 miles, 20 miles south of the Canadian border. You're up there by Lake Ontario, very cold. Yeah. So you had, you had the lake effect, which is precipitation. And then you had the mountain effect, which is the cold. So it's always raining. It's always wet or it's always freezing drizzle or it's always snow. And that's where I started getting a little bit of numbness in my hands and my feet. If you're in the infantry, you're out in the field, so to speak. You're in warlike conditions away from civilization for two or three weeks at a time. So I just said, oh, well, this is what happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to be honest, leading up to that, I had, you know, pains and stuff in my body. But I'm like, I'm old. I, I understand that. And I was just laser focused on the idea of getting to my unit and deploying mm-hmm. because that to me was like the destinations ultimately. So I was like, well, you know, my arms hurt, my back hurts, my legs hurt, my hands are numb, my feet are numb. That's okay. My neck hurts. I'm carrying a bunch of weight on my back. You're jumping out of helicopters. Of course it's going to hurt. I'm thinking that all the young guys feel the same way and they just got through it, which they probably did. Um, But then as the months went on, I could see having a hard time running, having a hard time keeping up with the run. Uh, I've always had a good strength in my hands and my upper body. So not being able to hold on to a bar or a rope when you come out of a helicopter again, that's kind of scary, but again, you just push through it and you want to keep going. Are you keeping this all to yourself? Yeah. Cause yeah, you, going back to life or death, people's lives are depending on your ability to hold on to that rope or that gun it. or that what, or them. Right. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and again, seeing after the fact, you can see how that is. That's almost like a selfish idea where, you know, I don't want to admit that I'm wrong or admit that I need help, which we see that in today's culture everywhere. Yeah. Admitting yet, weak, weakness. Yeah. Right. It takes a lot of strength to admit that you need help. It mean, yeah. it takes a lot of strength for anybody, whether it be a, a young girl or a, a gentleman in the military who's out of the military. If you're listening to us right now, like I heard a statistic that said that the most common form of death for females from 15 to 19 years old is suicide. Mm-hmm. So, and again, we hear about the 22 veterans a day that are taking their own lives. There is a tremendous, tremendous problem now where people are afraid to ask for help yeah. and understand that it takes a lot of, a lot of strength to ask for help. The way that we were taught was you suffer in silence. Yeah. But the reality now is you don't know how far reaching that decision can be to people around you, whether it be your immediate family or somebody that's listening to us speak right now. So it's hard to ask for help, even though I know it is hard for me to ask for help. But find somebody, find someone, whether it be a friend, whether it be a counselor, whether it be somebody in your community, whoever that is, do it. Because you don't know, first of all, how important that could be as a model for somebody else to do the same thing. And you also don't know how much it's going to help relieve you if you're willing to do that work. Yeah. So jumping out of an airplane is easy. You just go. Yeah. But doing the work necessary to unpack all that stuff and understand why you're getting to that point. That's the key. Yeah. That's the hard part. I'm not sure I would just go. I would need to be pushed. But but you <laughs> well, but you'll you get can a boot, be. You'll get a boot in the you, back. I'm you'll sure. Back I'm sure you do. But but that's it is you get pushed and it just happens. And 
it doesn't work like that with the the deep hard work. It may not sound as scary to some people, but I bet if they really stop and reflect on it, it's probably a lot scarier and that's why they haven't done it. Well, it's you have to choose to jump over and over and over again. And yeah. that's why it's hard. Yeah, you can't just say, yeah, you can't just say, I'm going to go in here and, oh, it's going to be good. Yeah. And if you're doing self-work, it's not easy. It yeah. sucks. It's the most difficult thing you'll ever do. You will have to be brutally honest with yourself in your self-reflection and say, I'm inadequate here. I fell down here. I dropped the ball here. I messed up as quickly as five minutes ago in mm -hmm. this. It's okay. It's like meditation. It's a practice. You're never perfect. You're never going to get to a point where you're done. Yeah. It's, it's in process. Yeah. And so just look at it as that and it won't be nearly as daunting. Yeah. Well, it's funny on, on the other side of taking that leap, I don't ever want to be done. And I know that's one of the big fears a lot of people have is like, yeah, but when, when will it be over? When will I have done the self work? It's you've done some of it and there's all, I mean, unless your life's over, you will continue to learn and grow and be challenged and need to think through that and understand it. And that's what you have to look at. It's just like you're, again, just like your life, you know, when is your life going to be done? Yeah. Well, I guess when you take your last breath. So do you want to just say, well, that's the last time I have to eat today. Yeah. Last time I have to work out today. Last time I have to shower. Last time I have to do, et cetera. Yeah. Understand that it's all a process that takes the pressure off you. You're never going to be up to a place where you feel successful. If you look at the most successful people out there in any, any profession or any financial capacity, they don't feel like they're done. They feel like they're just now scratching the surface. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the concept of a one hit wonder. We don't look mm -hmm. on that as a success, even if they made a lot of money off that one song. But so why right. would you look at self-work or anything else as why is a one hit wonder what you're actually striving for there? That's what it is. Yeah. And in the, in the military, you were only as good as your last, you know, like shot yeah. or your last qualification or your last PT test. I'm not saying to not acknowledge what you've done. Yeah. But what I am saying is to understand that if you had a great day yesterday, today's the day that you still have to continue. If you had a bad day yesterday, today's the day that you still have to continue. You get to decide and dictate how you're going to live the rest of your days from this moment on. And you choose that moment over and over and over again. Um, you don't know my book, but that's literally, <laughs> that's like Beautiful. the logo behind me. Like that's whether Good yesterday day, yeah. was good or, or bad or easy or hard, or you succeeded or failed in what you're trying to do. That doesn't mean you've lost the ability today. You yeah. can always, you learn from it when you didn't and you can celebrate when you did, but that doesn't let you off the hook to continue on the path. That's what it is. Yeah. That, and even like I'll, I'll have CEOs that are clients and they don't understand that the present moment is important. And I don't just mean it from a philosophical standpoint. I mean, a lot of these people are incredibly successful, these big companies, but because they're not, if they're at work and they feel resentful that they're not with their family, mm -hmm. now they're not present at work yeah. and now they're not effective at work. And now they're literally going to elongate the time that they're away from their family. Mm -hmm. If they're with their family and now they have, especially as entrepreneurs and they're sitting there watching TV, doing something mundane, and all of a sudden they think to themselves, man, I should get back on that email or I should respond yeah. to that person or follow up with this. Now you're taking that Gone. pleasure of that moment away. Yeah. And so by understanding that, I've worked with some of these CEOs where they can literally take five or 10 hours off of their work week because they're being present, because they have urgency, because they have Parkinson's law, because they have Hicks law, leveraging them, understanding that they don't need more time, they need a deadline. Mm -hmm. And that's what pushes them to get more done in that time. And guess what? If you can use your family as that thing that keeps you motivated to continue doing it, 
you can get a lot more done yeah. from that cycle as opposed from like a defeated mentality that continues to cascade out of control. So I want to go back to the self-work idea because you didn't do, or asking for help, I should say, because you didn't and you did pay a price mm -hmm. for it. So I did. You're, you're getting numbness. You're not moving yeah. right. And as a, a trained chiropractor or, or almost graduate of, of chiropractic school, you know what's going, like you have to know that this isn't just a little fleeting thing or like, oh, I'm older than these guys. So this is what it's going to be like. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, I, I woke up in the morning paralyzed. So I went to bed the night before thinking I just need to get some rest. Yeah. I literally, I literally drank a protein shake, went to bed early thinking the next morning, you know, I'll be, cause it was going to be, I, I thought, well, I'm going to have to do, you know, squats and deadlifts this weekend because my legs aren't really very strong. Oh. And so that shows you kind of where the mentality was. So I wake up, there's somebody knocking on my door for an AAR. It's an after action report. And I try to roll out of bed and my neck will articulate, but my body will not roll. And at first, again, from the chiropractic standpoint, I kind of chuckle. I'm like, ah, you know, the old man's sore. But then after a couple of minutes, again, that training comes back and I realize this is either A, a temporary condition or B, a very serious neurological situation. Yeah. And it became obvious quickly. So as they're beating on the door and yelling, I'm yelling back and explaining what's going on. They say they're going to have to knock the door down. I'm like, do whatever you got to do. Yeah, please. And then I'm on the way to the hospital, um, again, in denial, uh, hoping that this won't take very long. They've literally got me on the gurney. They're running with me like in the movies and they're shining lights in my eyes and poking and prodding me. And I'm hoping that they can just give me a shot and that this will just take a, a couple of minutes because my team is depending on me and we're yeah. going to deploy soon. Um, but there's what we hope will happen and then there's what we fear will happen and then there's what happens in life. So the MRI revealed that it was a disc in my neck that ruptured. The disc was impeding my spinal cord so powerfully mm -hmm. that there was no cerebral spinal fluid whatsoever coming down. So there was no ability to communicate. But the problem is your spinal cord is like delicate strands of silk all wrapped together. Yeah. So it's it, a it terrible takes, design. It, it really it's is. But that's why there's design. so much, there's so much yeah. stuff to protect it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it takes 10 millimeters of mercury of pressure to compromise one single nerve root, which means it takes the weight of a dime yeah. on any of your spinal column to create dis-ease or lack of mobility. Yeah. So the dis having the pressure of like a hockey puck from your desk and your neck smashing down onto it, like it's almost like a boot on a, on a fire hose. Yeah. If you step on a hose from the water, it won't go any further. Yep. So once they took it off there, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, well, I'm going to be able to walk again. So as we're getting ready to go into surgery, I ask them, they tell me what's going on. And I say, so whenever you remove this, when you do a disectomy and fuse my neck, I'll be able to walk again. Right. And that's when it's quiet and that's not what you want to hear. Yeah. And I understand now, you know, that's not their job. Their job is to save me, to get me through this, to remove all the stuff, to help me survive the altercation. But um, that's not what I want to hear because now I'm scared because right. at this point, you know, I'm very physical, which we're all physically based. You know, I went from being this very elite soldier who was doing stuff that I never thought I could even possibly do even at, in my twenties and now being told that I may be stuck like this forever and you won't answer me. Yeah. So they're like, alter, you're going to survive. This is the key right now. You can do the work afterwards. They put the mask on my face and I count down from a hundred and I realize that I literally cannot do anything else 
other than just hope and trust. Helplessness. Yeah. yeah the ultimate you're fully at the mercy of everything around you. Right. Yeah. It's um, a brutal reality. Yeah. So I wake up in the ICU. Um, what movement I did have is gone because they have me in a neck brace now. Sure. Yeah. So I'm just kind of looking around. I'm still kind of confused because literally within the last 24 hours, I have woken up paralyzed, been scared to death, not sure what's going on, operating on. It's supposed to take a few hours. It takes almost eight hours because they kept losing me. I flatline on the table. God. Yeah. And so when I wake up, the nurse is there and she's like, uh, welcome back to the land of the living, Mr. Anderson. Which again, I don't not really hear. Yeah. Not expecting yeah, to hear that or wanting to. Yeah. I'm, and I'm confused. I'm, was this all a bad dream? What's going yeah. on? Still can't move. Doctor comes in, sits at the foot of the table and, um, has a very congratulatory tone, explains to me that they lost me. I didn't know what he meant. Um, and he says, you know, you're lucky to be alive. Like you died and get to live to tell the tale, which is great. Uh, the problem is this is what you're left with for the rest of your life. So now I'm trying to wrap my mind around all of this. Yeah. And I say, is there any opportunity for me to walk? He says, if you were going to walk, it would happen like right now, immediately. Once we took that impingement off of that, he said, but there was a lot of neurological damage. The MRI showed that there was a lot going on. And he says, um, you know, it would be irresponsible to tell you that you could, because that would just make you very angry. Well, I'm going to be angry either way, but so there's a lot, a lot to, and again, I'm tired. I'm trying to yeah. process all this stuff. He says, I'll, I'll, you know, just get some rest. I'll come talk to you later. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, what the hell's going on. But in TV and the movies, it's always, you know, you, you go through the back surgery, the spinal surgery after the accident or whatever. And it's like, you know, the next 48 hours or however long we'll find out, you know, cause the nerves need right. time. And so he's saying, no, we would have known already. Is this the same he's doctor saying, who didn't answer you before surgery? <laughs> no, this is a different person. Okay. But, uh, that, that's what he was saying. He was like, listen, if it is going to happen, it will happen, you know, today or tomorrow. But he says, I would hold, not hold hope for that. Yeah. And so again, being a, a soldier, I was like, oh, well, he just told me I died and I overcame yeah. that. So walking should be easy. And again, just like all of us, I mean, the stages of acceptance are you yeah. know, denial, you know, bargaining, anger, blah, blah, blah. So I was obviously in denial and I was in denial for that first week. But then when they come collect me and take me back to my unit, now it starts to set in because now I can't just put my fingers in my ears and act like it didn't happen. I'm, I'm stuck with this. And now I really have to start figuring out what the hell do I do next? What, so two things, what, you're alone through this, aren't you? A, you, a you lot of it. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's not, when this all happened, it's not like, you know, your family's all around you. You're not local. So that, that whole surgery, you're alone. You wake up alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what level of paralysis are you dealing with at this point? You said you can't put your fingers in your ears. Can you literally not put your fingers in your ears? Cause no, your I arms can't. won't move. Yeah. I can't even do that. I'm from the neck down. Oh. Done. Is there any progression that first week you said, you know, the first week was a lot of denial. Is there any progression or it's still, no, it's the same story the, same. the whole time. It's the same. And I keep telling myself that, you know, the next day or the next morning or the next evening is going to happen. And then when that becomes obvious, that's when I get just livid. Um, 
you were mentioning my book and my TEDx talk, I was livid at the people around me, but what I was doing was I was actually livid at myself because I realized that I had taken so many of the opportunities in my life for granted. And they get to adversity. That's what I talk about in my, my TEDx talk. It's like I wasted so much time, talent, and potential assuming that I would always have yeah. the time, talent, potential to do whatever it is. So for all of us up until this point in our life, we always assume that we will have that. And we think that they, they say you don't know what you got till it's gone, but that's not necessarily true. The reality is we have what we have and we know that we have it, but we assume that it will always be there. Mm-hmm. So if you're married, you assume that your marriage will always be there. If you're physical, you assume your physicality would be there. If you're intelligent, you assume your intelligence would be there. If you're in business, you assume the business will always be there. But that is not the case. No. It can happen. It can disappear overnight. And we've seen thousands of examples in business to personal life to personal development where that happens. Yeah. And so that's why I live with such urgency. And that's why I try to give people such urgency. That's why I tell people, if you woke up tomorrow paralyzed from the neck down, what would you wish you would have accomplished with your life? Uh, you've literally had to think that. So what, what did and you answer for you? I thought of everything. I thought of not hugging my, of spending time with my uncle, my great uncle again. Yeah. I thought of every person I didn't tell that I loved them. I thought of every person that I told that all these things that we talked about that would fester I wish that I go through and just rip open all those things and get to the bottom of it, whether it be good and bad and say, you know what? I really don't like you at all. Yeah. And just be very honest. I wish I could tell people that I love them. I love them one more time. Yeah. And so people think that death is the worst thing that can happen to us, but that's not it. The hardest part that we go through, the hardest adversity in our life is not the hardship. If you get to a point in your life when you no longer have the opportunity to have hardship, that is the hardest part. Wow. Because all the things that you're bitching about in your life right now, if you were no longer able to do those things, I guarantee you, you would be so grateful to have the opportunity to have that adversity again. And that's what it is. So for me, I realized at 40 years old that I may have another 40 or 50 years of my life living in a bed, unable to take care of myself, completely unindependent. Yeah. That's not how you want to go. That's not what you want to do at all. So everybody that's bitching about, oh, well, you only die once. Well, you do, but you have to live every day with that intention. It took my death to make me truly begin to live my life. And I want to try to impress that on people now so that they don't have to go through that. And the reality is they may hear our, our conversation. They may be inspired for five minutes and they may forget about it. But I hope that this plants a seed in you. I hope that you can think about that and remember that and allow that to give you direction, urgency, intention in anything that you're doing. Ask yourself right now, why am I doing this? Hopefully everything you do has purpose, has intention. And it it does whether you're aware of it or not. So you need to be the person who steers that bus. Yeah, use the, right. It does have intention. So are you using that to your advantage, to your benefit, to, or the benefit of what you care about most, whatever that may be. That's it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes, it, it's just right back to that point of mindfulness. Because if you're not, then you're missing all these things. You absolutely are. And, and even like with gratitude, um, gratitude is a buzzword. And I talk, 
I talk about it, but I try not to talk about it like everybody else does where they write things down. That That's fine. Or gratitude but, journal kind of thing. Yeah, gratitude yeah, journals. Yeah. And those those are fine. I think journaling is fantastic. I think yeah. being aware of that's great. But most people that I hear that practice gratitude have it as a very – like it's an excuse. It's a crutch mm. where if something happens in their life and their life's falling apart and they're not taking action and they're just playing the victim – their entire life is falling down like a house of cards, but they'll be like, oh, but I'm grateful. Actually, no, you're giving up. Yeah. You can be grateful. You can have gratitude and not be passive. Yeah. You can have incredible, incredible ambition and still be grateful. Yeah. You can be incredibly wealthy and still be grateful. It's not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Most, most people, when they practice gratitude, they cherry pick the things they like and they're like, I'm grateful for this. But for easy math, let's say that half of your day you're grateful for, but the other half you don't like. Yeah. That means literally half of your life you will not have an opportunity to be grateful. You will have an opportunity that you could have to get better that you're choosing not to use. Mm. So that's why adversity is a gift. That's why adversity is opportunity. So when you're going through hardship, the things you don't like in your life, those are opportunities you should be taking to get better as well. Because it's easy to be philosophical about somebody else's headache. Yeah. But when it's us, all of a sudden we want it to be different because yeah. it's us and we want to be the exception to the rule. But adversity does not give a damn about what you think, doesn't care about your opinion, it doesn't care about what you want, and it doesn't take no for an answer. Yeah. Embrace it instead of seeing it as this thing that's out to get you. That's it. It's a because thing that if grows you, you. That's what it is. They talk about the reticular activating system in our brain, and that's a filter system that sees things. So the, the phenomenon that they talk about that Ed Milet talks about, for example, he says if you're looking for a blue car, all of a sudden when you're driving through traffic, you're going to see blue cars everywhere. Yeah, confirmation bias. That's exactly yeah, what yeah. it is. But life is the same way. If I'm going through and I see opportunities all the time, guess what? I'm going to have confirmation bias. Now, if we can reframe the adversity that people are continually seeing, the people that like to play the victim, the people that like to go in there and cater and wallow in their own self-pity, if they can turn adversity and see that as an opportunity and say, what am I supposed to learn from that? Where's the beauty in this? Yeah. If they can do that, now everything that they see, even if the confirmation bias shows it as adversity, yeah. they can even within that, they can find something to learn. Yeah. And we all have, we all have good days and bad days. We don't all talk about Everything. them that way. That's it. Yeah. Um, there, you, we all know people who are just like, you know, like everything is, oh, and then this happened and then this. It's like, yeah, that's kind of, you're, you're just talking about that. Or, you know, this person does all these terrible things. It's like, yeah, but they also did all this other stuff. You're just not looking at it. And so you only see it as bad and you talk about it negatively and you're just festering the, the, um, resentful view. That's it. That's exactly it. They're, they're reinforcing that idea. And, and the thing too, is like you said, they're, they're looking at everything outside of them, which means they're not taking responsibility for themselves. Yeah. And it's really easy to point the finger. So you're not paralyzed anymore. No. How long did you spend going through that? It, took three months before I actually started getting any feeling back in my hands and my feet. And then it took a year after that to, of physical ther therapy and occupational therapy to get back to a place where I was even able to hold a glass of water again. Yeah. But all of that. And, and that's where that we talked about gratitude in my book. I talk about it a lot. And in my TEDx, I talk about it, but what happened for me is I went through like suicidal depression, but mm. I can even act on it. 
because of, right? So again, how helpless did I feel? How much yeah. of a victim was I? But what I found was in, in Zen, because I had like all this Zen and Taoism and Stoicism, all these things coming back to my mind, rushing to me. But you don't want to hear that stuff when you're going through it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to hear somebody telling you this. If you'd have told me, hey, Marcus, this is adversity is a gift, Good I would have said a lot yeah. of bad stuff to you. I would yeah. have spit on you because I couldn't punch you at yeah. that point. Right? So what I had to do is I had to take myself out of the equation. And Zen, they, they have you take yourself out of the, the situation to see it from yeah. like a true third-person perspective. I was like, all right, did anybody, anybody benefit from me being hurt? And I thought, well, if I'd have been deployed when this happened, Right. Because in my mind, this injury would have happened irrespective of where I was on the globe. Yeah. So if we deployed when we were supposed to, and we'd have been on the ground, for every one man who was injured in combat, it takes two to pull him to safety. Wow. So my team would have been compromised. My squad would have been compromised. The helicopter they had to fly in to get me would have been compromised. There would have been over a dozen people's outside of myself whose lives would have been put in harm's way had I suffered that overseas. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in months, because gratitude, that's what it really is, like unconditional love. Mm-hmm. If you love somebody unconditionally, you may not agree with them all the time, but you still love them. Yeah. Gratitude's the same way. So that was the first time in my 40 years on this planet that I had true, unconditional 360 gratitude. Oh. And that's when I was like, wow, I'm lucky. And I literally said it and I tried to look around the room because I couldn't, who would say that? Yeah, yeah. But once I had that unconditional gratitude, I was grateful for the people that took care of me, the bed that I may never get out of, the room I may never leave. Yeah. And literally a week after that is when I started getting a little bit of feeling back into my left hand. That's interesting. Now, it wasn't a lot, but it was enough to give me it hope. It was more than nothing, yeah. Much more than I had. It's striking me that with the suicidal thoughts, the the thing that's leading to you to that is also the thing that's keeping you from doing it. Like you're, you're being saved. By, I mean, you think about the gift of adversity, it's your adversity that's pushing you to the brink and saving you from it. Simultaneously. Yeah. It's really, yeah. uh, I mean, it sounds fake. It sounds like, you know, some brilliant author came up with it, but it's literally like you lived it. It's a very real. It is. Yeah. Not everybody takes the lessons from the teaching moments. Do you think it's the background and the, the, you know, Zen and the martial arts philosophies, like those kinds of things, and maybe the reason why you were in that situation around honor and your great uncle and all that, that put you in a place where you could or not? Like, what, what do you think, why do you think you happen to latch on to the ability to see the lesson in it? The reality is after three months of being that depressed and being that angry, you will literally mentally try anything that you possibly can. Mm. And again, all those seeds were planted within me and all that, those notions were in my mind. And the thing with me was in the martial arts, if I push up against you and you're bigger and stronger and we're on the exact same plane, you're always going to win. It's just impossible for me to defeat you. Right. Yeah. But from the martial arts, I learned that if I can have a bigger, stronger opponent, and then go with them for a second, turn into that energy. Yeah. Now I can redirect and now I have an opportunity to maybe survive or maybe turn the tables. So for me, I was pushing against adversity forever, like yeah. for months and months and months. That was the definition of insanity. So what am I missing? What 
angle am I not using? And again, Zen, Taoism, Buddhism, Stoicism coming back, telling you, you know, embrace it, you know, hardship, blah, 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 blah. If it's endurable, endurable, all these things that they're talking about. And I thought, well, I've tried everything else other than turning into this, yeah. other than leaning into this. I literally have nothing else to lose other than to go with this. So for 40 years of my life, I had all these things, again, that had built up. But that moment and stripping it all down is what allowed me to get full circle to where I am now, to where now these things make more sense. So now the reason why we hear the same cliche things over and over again is because they're true. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And no matter where you listen, no matter who you hear it from, truth is this truth irrespective of source and no matter where you are. So in Stoicism, their idea of truth was where they were at that place in time in that part of the world. And Zen is the same thing. And religions and philosophies, they're just simply expressing the truth that they've been able to recognize and record. And the semantics of it don't matter. Mm. But the idea of love is universal. The idea of freedom is universal. The idea of respect is universal. And all those things, there's about a dozen things that are universal. Everything else is just people, you know, trying to cut hairs. And I try to get above that. And I don't care about what direction, what political leaning, what philosophical ideal, what religious component you come from. If you can come from those ideas, even in the military, there was a guy that I had on my podcast named Nick Norris. He was a Navy SEAL. He was on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Mm -hmm. And he and I connected. I had him on. And he says, the most important thing for a leader is love. Now, it doesn't come out necessarily as love, but it manifests as respect. Love manifests as trust. Mm-hmm. Love manifest as responsibility. That's what it all comes down. It all comes down to that common denominator. So love, gratitude, seeing adversity as a gift. If you can have a handful of these things and you just use that as your default setting on everything else in life, everything gets much simpler. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I do now. So I'm trying to piece together some of the ways that someone can take this in. Um, you know, we, we hit on a lot of it, but I'm wondering, I mean, you, you do this with people. So what are, what are some of the things that, cause we all face this stuff, big or small. What are some of the things that we, you know, we talked about mindfulness. We talked about this choice of seeing it as a gift, seeing adversity as a gift, but that's, those are just words. So what do we do to start to bring these concepts in and, and actually process them and make them a part of our, our thought? There's a lot of different directions you can go with it. Um, in my book, I go through exercises to go with it, and there are different ways to look at it. When somebody hears the word or hears the phrase, the gift of adversity or adversity is a gift, yeah. it's bifurcating. Either yeah. you get it almost immediately or you don't get it or it makes you mad. Because say and you get it or you get pissed off by it. Right, yeah. exactly. And you know, the, the truth will set you free, but oftentimes it will piss you off, yeah. and that's okay. So for the people that get it immediately, it's easy for me. I've already thrown that life preserver to them and they've got it. There are some people that will respond to it more like this. Okay. The things that you're complaining about right now in your life, there are people all over the world who would die to have the things that you're taking for granted. Yeah. Right. Now, there's some people that are be like, well, that's first world shaming, blah, 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 blah. That's okay. That's fine. Uh, if, you, that, if that doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. Another thing that you can do is I call it the adversity scale. Um, on a piece of paper, plot out where you're at right now and say, okay, here's my scale. 
10 is up here, zero is down here. Here's my adversity, right? The thing that I'm complaining about right now, the fact that my latte is not hot enough. Yeah. The, the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life is a 10, zero is heaven on earth. So in the grand scheme of things, where am I really at? Yeah. Maybe a two, maybe a three. And again, this having a piece of paper to write it down, it takes the emotion out of it, yeah. right? Because for every single one of us, emotions assassinate the truth. And yeah. it is, it's impossible for us to be objective when we're in it. Yeah. So just like when you have a friend who's in a horrible relationship and we can step outside of it and we just see the train wreck happening right in front yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why are they doing that? It's easy because we're not in it. We're not in the adversity. We don't have emotion involvement. We don't have fear, love, hate going on in that particular time. Yeah. So by going through and going on that adversity and stay a scale and saying, listen, if you're bitching about your job right now, that's fine. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, where is it? And understand that the thing you're complaining about, you have control over. Mm -hmm. In this moment, you can decide what do you want to do? You were choosing, what did we talk about? Making the decision over and over and over again. You were deciding every single day if you want to keep going back to that. Yeah. And so it comes down to taking responsibility for where you are now. You're right here. Where do you want to be? Way over here. Well, what's in between it? Adversity, decision, choice, intention, ideas, choosing over and over again to get to that other place. Now, again, it is simplistic, but it has to be simplistic because in the heat of battle, if it's not simple, you will forget it all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In the martial arts, if I give you an AT piece combination and say, okay, when the right cross comes, you do this, 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 and this. No, you're going to fall down. You're going to lose. You're going to freeze up. There's too many moving parts. Occam's razor says the simplest answer is usually the correct one. So that's why I'm trying to give you a handful of ideas. Mm. I'm not trying to give you a toolbox because a toolbox is too heavy to carry. Yeah. I'm giving you a single multi-tool that you can take with you every day and you can apply it. And that's the idea. Yeah. So if you look at them like that, that's where the taxis can come into play. I do. It's the word every day is crucial here. It's not a, it, anyone who's looking for like, where's the workbook? And I just, you know, do these exercises on these two pages. And then it's like the words that spit out at the end of every sentence. That's the answer. It doesn't, that's not what we were talking about. This is self-work, self-respect, asking for help, respecting what's around you, searching for love in the things in your life on a daily basis in perpetuity. Yeah, the things that are monumental are from things that are incremental daily, and that's it. That's nice. Um, yeah, th this this pain scale, I think a lot of people could use that reset. Absolutely. Uh, not everything is a 12 out of 10. Not everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope it's not. And yeah. if that's the case, then you need to be a little bit more objective. And by, by having that adversity skill, it also allows you to take that third-person perspective again, so you take yourself out of it. Yeah, that's great. So now you can you can be much more objective about it. How many times have we sit there and complain about whatever the situation is? But if our friend came to us and described the exact same situation, we'd be like, oh, why are you doing that? You should be yeah. doing this, this, and this. The, the idea is, are you humble enough and wise enough to take your own advice? Mm. Most yeah. of us aren't. Yeah, yeah. Because it's different. And, uh, it's different when it's me. Well, it is. I'm the exception. You're, yeah, right. you're letting it. I'm be the different. exception, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's but it's not. The human condition is universal. There is not one emotion that you have ever felt in your life that has not been felt by millions of people for millions of years before us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Um, Marcus, you're awesome. I could keep going with this. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah, I know it's fantastic. Where 
so where where can people get to you? And obviously, I'll link to everything. Um, yep. I'll I'll put in the you know the podcast. I'm uh, sorry, the, well, some of the podcasts, but um, the TEDx is what I meant to say. I linked to your book and all that. But where's the easiest yeah. place where people can find you? They can find me on. You know, they go to my website, MarcusAureliusAnderson.com. I'm on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all the the big platforms. Um, again, if you enjoyed this, the book, The Gift of Adversity, is on Amazon. It's easy to find. My TEDx talk is free. You can find it on YouTube. Um, and then my number one new noteworthy podcast, The Epic Achiever, Conscious Millionaire Epic Achiever. You can find it on iTunes. Um, and that's the thing. Like just like you, I'm a TEDx speaker. I'm a best-selling author and the pattern for a lot of people is you get the TEDx, you get the book, and then you try to brand all that into a podcast. But I waited, I already built a network before that. And then I waited a year and a half because I wanted to see how people took the message, who was mm. actually seeing it from a grander scale, see where it went. Right. And what I found is so many people get bogged down in adversity. And I understand that we all go through things, whether it be a death in the family, a divorce, a loss of our jobs, whatever it is. But what I'm trying to show is that adversity is opportunity. Yeah. So the, so the epic achievers that I have on there, I bring them people that are at the highest level in business, entrepreneurship, you know, financial, whatever. But yet I find out what is that common thread? What is the hardship that they've been through? We unpack that. Then yeah. we find out what their expertise is. Then we find out where the opportunity, what the gift in their adversity was, and we tie it in a knot. So now it's like you start using adversity as your compass. Yeah. You start doing these, you talked about tactics, micro adversities are key. Micro adversities of not eating, maybe push your lunch back a half hour, maybe reduce your cal your caloric intake, half, a, half of that for that day. Maybe walk a little bit further to work. Maybe not wear a jacket when it's not completely freezing outside. Yeah. Maybe it's holding a door open for somebody or listening to somebody whose ideas and leanings are different than yours. These are all opportunities if we so choose. Yeah. I just took a red eye last night after not sleeping for like two days, basically. And, um, hearing you say this, I'm like enough. I'm not talking about it that way. I'm not like commiserate. Oh, you so t no, like it's that, uh, that's that. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. I'm still here, still surviving. How did that right. happen? Yep. And again, like I said, you know, being on a red eye on an airplane, there's people right now as we speak that are fighting for food and water for their very lives. Yeah. Not, and the guy so next to me complained that they didn't uh, hand out snacks at like 3 a.m. or whatever. It's like, again, now he didn't have a latte. So, you know, I don't know what kind of temperature it would have been. but <laughs> That's what it is. I'm yeah. sure it, it would have not been warm enough for him. Yeah. At that time. I brought my own snacks. Um, yeah. That, that's not usually how I end the show. Ready to help me close out the show? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Today's a new day. Go find the adversity in that day. Oh, that's unique on brand. I like that. But I like, so the show's over, but it's not because I can't stop. The gift right. of adversity, I just, I haven't said this yet. That is absolutely brilliant. And not just as a title of the book, but the concept of it. It, it struck a nerve with me and just hearing yeah. you talk about it now. It's, uh, it's amazing. So thank you for that. That gift. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. It, it's, it's like anything. I mean, you can dig as deep as you want and you can get through as many of those as you want. But whether I talk to people that are in a financial sector or people that are going through personal hardship, and this even comes down to leadership. Mm -hmm. I mean, it again, if you're facing Every adversity, aspect. that's, yeah, I mean, that's adversity is what gives you self-worth. It gives you self-knowledge. It makes you situationally aware of yourself. 
So if you want to be a better leader, face adversity, embrace it. If you want to be a better husband, a better father, a better mother, whoever it is, find that. And then you can apply that anywhere. It's a common thread that goes through the tapestry of our lives. And by not finding it, it really is, it goes to our peril. Yeah. All right. Now we really will end the show. <laughs> I could keep, like I said, I could keep doing and, and I did. Um, Marcus, thank you for giving me the time and, and being on. It was, uh, it was awesome. I got a ton out of it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I hope that it, people say that if I change one life with my speaking, that I've done my job, Yeah. but that means we haven't done our job enough. We should be changing millions of people's lives with this conversation alone. So I hope that it really resonates with people. I'll watch the downloads for it beating, uh, beating through <laughs> that million mark. Let's make it um, happen, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for being on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, brother. It's been fantastic. Amazing, right? And peaceful. Like I was saying in the intro, it's like super powerful person, super powerful message, yet peaceful and calm. You feel where like this great adversity he faced, he really has taken from it and grown. And I don't know him from before any of this, but, um, you know, and I, I know he's got mindset and the martial arts that he studied and so maybe he was calm and peaceful before too but there's there's something about this message and the way it comes out now it's really amazing i loved how he kind of unknowingly ended up summing up to a day right when he says if you had a great or bad day yesterday today is the day you get to continue you get to decide and dictate how you live your life from this moment on and you choose that moment over and over again it's awesome. So, so brilliant. You definitely want to check out Marcus's work at MarcusAureliusAnderson.com. And you got to check out 5075100.com. Are you getting sick of this yet? The easiest way to stop hearing about it is to go pick up the book. And if you're quick enough, you can still get it for just 99 cents on Kindle. But if you're not, then it's okay. You can still get it for a great deal in paperback, Kindle, Apple Books used to be called iBooks, uh, Kobo, Nook, what else? Audible, it's everywhere. And if you haven't read Do a Day yet, well, Marcus just gave you kind of the gist of it, but you may want to read the whole thing, so you can pick that up as well. Uh, I'm so thankful that you joined me. That was a decision that you get to make every time you decide what to listen to to dictate how you live your life from this moment on, to pull some words from Marcus. You chose that moment over and over again every time you listen to an episode of this show. And that's about making that decision to go out and do it. Thanks, everyone.